The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses uh, 1 through 20. And so here's, you know, I kind of want to start with the, the theme. The, the message title is, Activate Your Faith. Now imagine that's why you're here, you know, you're in church because you have faith, you believe, you're hungry spiritually, you come and you wanna use your faith. But what I wanna encourage you is, and tonight, what I wanna focus on, faith is not just passive. It's not just learning new truths to say, well, I believe that. I believe that, that's good. But that's not completely faith. Faith must be activated. Faith is when you act on what you actually believe. Then it becomes real. It's when we activate our faith and we trust in the Lord, when we express or exercise authority in Christ, when we pray, believing and trusting, that's when the supernatural power of God is released. That's when miracles happen. That's when healings happen. That's when deliverance happens. That's when, you know, the presence of God literally shows up. So, you know, I think it's very simple and very basic, but we can get trapped into just, okay, I go and I hear messages that I intellectually agree with and learn a lot more new information about all that, you know, the Bible says, but that's not faith. Yes, you should believe and trust in what God's word says, but faith is always active. So anyway, we're gonna find that as we go through this story in Acts chapter 19. So beginning in verse one, it says, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth. So Paul had just been in Corinth, planted a church there. You remember there was this guy named Apollos who had you know, heard about John the Baptist and he had uh, you know, re- received his message. He had had the baptism of repentance, but he didn't know about Jesus. So. Uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila said, hey, uh, you know, you, we're, the Messiah has actually come. Yeah, John preached, and you should repent, and be ready for the coming of the Messiah, but guess what? The Messiah came, his name is Jesus, so then Paulus became a committed believer. So that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, now came to Ephesus. And then finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So in a moment, we're gonna find there's another group of, they're called disciples, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're believers. They they know and believe what they've heard so far, which is, we're gonna find out, the message of John the Baptist. Repent and get ready for the Messiah's coming. They, again, do not know that the Messiah has come in the person of Jesus Christ. But I wanna take a moment and just begin with verse one, the city of Ephesus. And I wanna describe this because a powerful, mighty work of God took place in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was the vanity fair of Asia Minor. It was, you know, it was kind of a New York, if you will, of Asia Minor at that time. Everybody wanted to go to Ephesus. Uh, It had the, the, the trade center, it was the trade center of Asia Minor. Uh, It was the most magnificent city. The architecture was beautiful. The Greek culture was displayed everywhere. But it was also a very corrupt city. 
Its greatest reputation was its uh, temple to Diana, also known as Artemis. And the idol in the temple, they said, fell from heaven. Now listen very carefully, because this is going to be another theme tonight. Because what are, the, what are the gods that people are believing in? What are they trusting in? And while there are many that are, you know, searching out, you know, they, they, they think that they know what the gospel is or Christianity, and now they're, you know, you know, going back to the 60s, it was like, well, what, you know, what about the new age? What about Asian gods and goddesses? What about Hinduism and Buddhism and all these other things? And there is nothing new under the sun. As it says in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, there is nothing new under the sun. And it's interesting that this, this stature, this idol of this you know, female goddess and sexuality and of any kind that you can possibly imagine, and I want to also emphasize, wherever you may think that we are, as, as a culture in America and all the, you know, the sexual explosion of talking and everything else, we, we have not come to the same place where either Corinth or Ephesus already were. And, but here's what it shows, because what it led both Corinth and Ephesus, who had a, you know, a sexual explosion, as it were, of all kinds of different uh, attitudes, lifestyles, Uh, things that we would think are completely uh, abusive and abhorrent to this day, had fallen into great darkness. And what's interesting is this concept that, you know, part of this stone that had fallen from heaven. There's a story in the Bible that talks about it. Because on Diana were all of these, listen, sacred symbols. And I want to just quickly say to you that right now, on your iPhones, on your iPads, on your computers, on your television, streaming through all of the various things you're seeing and watching, all of the massive advertising, in the midst of that, and most people are not aware of it unless you get into it and really study it, are signs and symbols that are literally directly out of the occult. And people, and they're just like You know, in some of the most respected corporations and companies that you would all say, oh, you know, they're family friendly, they're this, they're that, but then you find out why they get a little sign or a symbol and then you find out it has an idolatry uh, symbol that goes back hundreds of years, thousands of years, What is that doing there? So we have to be very careful. And then uh, read with me Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Talk about a star that fell from heaven. It all started with a guy named Lucifer. So Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Let's read this out loud. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. So the Bible talks about that he was a, uh, there's another passage in the uh, prophecy of the ancient Hebrew prophet Ezekiel. I believe it's uh, Ezekiel chapter 28 also gives another description of this angelic being. Lucifer was his name. So Satan is kind of a title, it means adversary, devil. 
but Lucifer was his name. He was an angel. He was the highest ranking of angel. Uh, he is, in Ezekiel 20, called the, uh, the, the archangel or the anointed cherub. You know what, cherub, you've heard cherubs. Cherubs are not those little cute cards with a baby with tiny wings on it going like this. Cherubim are in the very presence of God. They are overwhelmingly large, uh, mystical, mysterious, and they are literally right there with the burning center of all things, the God of all creation, and they cry out. Uh, literally day and night, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is, and who is to come. They're, they're constantly praising and worshiping the, the very glory of God. Well, he was called the anointed cherub. Well, the Hebrew word for anointed means, or is, Mashiach. He was in the very presence of the glory of God, Lucifer, until the day that sin came into his heart. And the original sin did not begin with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The original sin and rebellion against God started with a fallen angel who not only was of the highest order of cherubim, but he was the anointed Mashiach cherubim over them all. And so, there's some, we, we don't know exactly, but we know that there's uh, not a lot of angels that have names in the Bible, but you've got Lucifer, then you also have Michael. I'm sure you've heard of Michael the archangel. You've certainly heard of Gabriel, another archangel. And there are some, many Bible commentators that believe each one of those archangels, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer, governed over one third, kind of in the hierarchy of heaven over there of the angels. It is interesting that in the book of Revelation, we find that when Lucifer fell, when he rebelled, he was apparently given a space of time and he drew, he, he said, how many angels are with me? Let's rebel against God and let's exalt ourselves to say we're equal with you and we're as beautiful and amazing because God had made them amazing and beautiful and they had an anointing and so Revelation tells us he drew one third of the stars in rebellion against God. Very interesting. I don't want to go into the, everything, but I'm just giving you kind of the highlights. Uh, good news, that means two out of the three angelic realm remain loyal and faithful to God. So there's more that are with God than are against him. Can I hear an amen on that? That's good to know. But it also shows you the uh, the rebellion and how it went all the way to the highest and it's all about pride and it's all about I want equality, I want equality and, and the root of it is I don't want anybody, not even the God who created me telling me what to do. I will decide for myself what I wanna do, when I wanna do it, how I will do it. That root rebellion of total autonomy, treating yourself as God when in fact you're not God if you're created, it's kind of obvious you got created by God. So anyway, it's crazy, but that's, that's what he did. So all of this was rooted in a city wrestling with great darkness. So that will set up where we're going to go now. So uh, verses 2 through 10, we're introduced to a, a group of disciples who, you know, they've only known John the Baptist and they don't know about Jesus yet. So I want to say this, why an incomplete faith must be upgraded 
in order to truly be saved. So verse two, it says, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. I think it's kind of obvious there. They're not believers because they don't know who Jesus is and they don't know who the Holy Spirit is. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? Because they had been baptized. He goes, well, what did you get baptized in? So they said to him, into John's baptism, that would be John the Baptist. And then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him whom, or who would come after him, and that is on Christ Jesus. So when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. So uh, here's where Paul comes across these apostles. They've heard of John, but they're like, Jesus who? They, They don't know who he is. So here's what I want you to realize. Repentance is good. The the baptism of repentance to know that you're a sinner and that you're lost, that's good, but it's not enough. It's not enough for salvation. And again, I know this is very simple and very basic, but yes, you need to repent and realize that you're broken and that you have not lived a perfect life, but you also need to know who the Savior is. You need to know who Jesus Christ is. And you need to have a personal relationship with him. He needs to be in you. His blood, that's the whole purpose of the cross is that he died in your place. His blood washes away your sins. His resurrection is the power that gives his spirit the capacity to come inside you and give you eternal life. So to be eternally saved necessitates a decision. And you either... When you hear the gospel, you either accept Jesus Christ or you do not. But I want to also say this, that if, you know, for anybody that's like, well, I'm thinking about it, I'm considering it, but I haven't done it yet. At a certain point, a non-decision will turn into a decision. Do you see what I'm saying? If you keep putting it off and keep saying, well, later, I'll do it tomorrow. Did you know the Bible never says get saved tomorrow. It always says today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. So the point is, if you hear the gospel and you're like, I know it's true and I know I need forgiveness and I need to give my life to the Lord, but I still want to live in the world a little bit and I'll I'll do it later. If you start knowing the truth and you resist it, the only way you can resist the love of God and the, and the power of the good news of Jesus Christ is you harden your heart a little, not now, later. You just harden your heart, only this much. Well, no, but I'm still thinking about it. I'm totally open to it. Yeah, okay. But a month goes by, a year goes by. Now all of a sudden you're drifting it well in this season of my life and you never do it. And you keep saying no, you finally, that non-decision becomes a decision. Does that make sense? And the only way you can keep putting it off and resisting the Holy Spirit is you actually harden your heart. You know the story of Pharaoh. 10 times he hardened his heart and finally God said, okay, the time has come for a judgment. So look with me in verses eight and nine. In verse eight it says, and he went into the synagogue, so this is now Paul, 
And he spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened, there's that word again, and did, uh, did not believe, but spoke evil of the way. If you have a, a pen or pencil, you want to underline that expression of the way, that's, we were not first called Christians. We were first called followers of the way. I don't know if you knew that or not, but that's the original name of people who were followers and believers of Jesus. They, they all kind of had apparently heard the teaching of Jesus that I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. So that's the way. And it's a narrow way with those Christians because the only way is you have to go through this very narrow gate that is one person to believe and trust in and his name is Jesus Christ. And only if you go through him can you have salvation. Of course, Jesus said that and that's what they taught and that's why they were called the followers of the way. But there were those who hardened their hearts, rejected it, and they spoke evil of the way before the multitude. He departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So here's, here's what happened. Uh, Paul's going into the synagogues. He's going where the Jewish people are. And for three months, he's with them. He's in the synagogue. They're saying, well, yeah, but this is not how we thought the Messiah would come. Well, did he fulfill this prophecy? And how do you put these prophetic passages together? And Paul said, fine, questions are good. Uh, he said, I'll reason with you. I will discuss these things with you. Where it says he reasoned with them, the Greek word is where we get our English word dialogue. That's where you ask questions. And it's good to ask questions. The Bereans asked questions. The Lord can handle any question that you have, anything that you don't understand. That's not a lack of faith. That's actually a sign of honesty and integrity and character. Hey, I don't get this. What does this mean? Can you explain it to me? Then coming to a reasonable explanation. And Paul said, I got all the time in the world for you guys. Ask away. And he reasoned with them. And then he persuaded them. He gave convincing arguments. He gave them testimonies, his own personal testimony on the road uh, to, in Syria, to Damascus. But in the synagogue situation, there were some that became believers and they're now getting confirmed and strengthened. They're putting the pieces of the mosaic together of the Messiah and Jesus and they're growing, growing, growing. But there's this other group that, are, that were saying no in the beginning, but now they're hardening their hearts. Now they're speaking evil. It's no longer a discussion. Now it's turning into an attack. So I wanna bring and make a little application for you and I. Whether this is in your home, whether it's in a family, by the way, we love you know, having home Bible studies and it, it, you know, your home should be a place where your friends, your family, your neighbors, people you work with, kids, friends that go to school, they can come in and be able to ask questions and learn. You don't have to be a Christian to come to a home Bible study. I used to invite all my friends when I was teaching home Bible study out in El Cajon and there were a lot of them, they were, most of them were not saved. 
they were, but they were curious or they were like, hey, there's free food or, you know, we had some of the cheerleaders come. They said, yes, really, I wanna go come here about the Bible. Yeah, right. So they had their reasons, but it was still, you know, but there, there is a certain point that I wanna, you know, give you, Paul gives us an example here. Discussion is good, questions are good, reasoning through things is good, even arguments are good. But when it becomes a personal attack, an emotional attack, and they're coming against you, do not stay in that environment. It's toxic, it's unhealthy. It's not good for you, it's not good for them. And Paul said, you know what, we've reached a point I've given you guys three months. I've kind of, you, you have enough information. You can make a decision. So he took those who were still with him, wanted to learn more and grow, but without that meanness and now the, this kind of, you know, attack thing, that's, it was a spirit of hardening their heart. So he, he went to a school. Uh, this guy had a lecture hall. His name was Tyrannus, apparently. And because of that part of the world, they, they would work in the morning and they would work in the evening, but because of the, the climate and it was hot, basically they shut down. They had a siesta, if you know what that is, from 11 a.m. At 11 a.m., we're shutting down. We're not opening up until four when the sun starts going down and it's, you're not miserable. So Tyrannus had this kind of a lecture hall and it was available from 11 to four. So he said, hey, could I rent that from you? And I'm gonna bring my disciples in here and use this for, and the guy was like, yeah, somehow they made a deal and that's what he did. And he did that for several years. So the application I wanna to make to you is, questions are good, dialogue is good. Uh, you know, you don't have, there's no pressure because God doesn't want anybody, nobody will be in heaven against their will. God wants, he wants you to be willing because a relationship takes two people. So he never forces any, himself upon us. So they persuaded them. And then in verse two, we read that the good news spread all over Asia. All who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And it was a very beautiful thing. Now, look with me in verses 11 and 12. And I wanna say this, God did now unusual miracles as they demonstrated unusual faith. Just look at verses 11 and 12. It says, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, how many of you would agree that that's pretty weird? That's pretty wild. That's very unusual. Now, it does say that God worked unusual miracles, um, but they had kind of an unusual you know, place where they were there in Ephesus. And I believe that the manifestation of the supernatural power of God that they saw there that was, I mean, you know, this is a very unique situation, a very unique place and time, but God was, these people who were so into the spiritual, so into spirits, so into religious practices that were ancient uh, in Ephesus, they were of such a character that they go, look, we have no problem believing in spirits, 
and the supernatural and things that you can't always see, but we know that there's reality behind that. But they wanted to know, so who's the biggest, who's the strongest, who's the most powerful? And apparently these miracles were things that none of the other witches or warlocks or sorcerers, they were like, no, we, we can't do that. <laughs> we can't do that. And it was associated, listen, Paul is still tent making, so what's literally happening is they're going, man, this guy will like say, be healed in the name of Jesus, and people are getting healed. So, they're, they're, so you, the word starts getting out, and Paul's still working. He has to probably work in the mornings, and then teach her in the day, and work in the evenings, and he's sweating as a tent maker, and they're looking at him and going, that's the guy. Is that the guy that you know, prayed for you know, so-and-so, and then they got healed, or the demon got cast out, or whatever? They're, that's the guy. So they watched him, and then Paul's sweating, and then he would go over, put his little headband for sweat. He'd put that on the thing, and they go, I got it. Let's take it home and see what happens to it. So they would take it home, and then they would put it on somebody that was sick, and they would get healed. How many would agree that's weird? How many would agree that's unusual? But guess what? It's right there, and it's in the Bible. So Ephesus, a hotbed of the occult, including all forms of spiritism, magic, superstition, and the dark arts. And God needed to show them that he is above all other gods, that he has all power, all authority, and in the entire supernatural realm, every spirit and every angel and every being and every knee must bow and every tongue must confess. He is Lord of all. So a multitude of miracles was done in the name of Yeshua or of Jesus, and the whole city knew, and no one could dispute it, that the God this guy Paul was talking about, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish God, who then now this Messiah named Jesus of Nazareth in his name was more powerful than all the magicians and all the worshipers of Diana. So now here's a, an interesting story from my pastor, Chuck Smith. Um, this was some years ago, so he was kind of teaching through the book of Acts, and so look, I, I realize, I don't, I don't know if they are still on, but I remember back in the 70s, there would be, you know, the televangelists or whatever, and they would always sell, you know, buy this oil, it's special, or buy a little prayer cloth, how many of you have ever seen that? And, and they, they're for sale, you know, or whatever. So anyway, um, I, sadly, I think many of them they play on the superstitions or the, the beliefs of people, they take advantage of people and they're in it for the money and, and all the rest of it. But Pastor Chuck said there was one guy that he was like very sincere and he was very dedicated and so he had these you know, prayer cloths and he said, look, I'm, I, he goes, the cloth doesn't heal you. He goes, faith heals you. I mean, Jesus heals you. But if your faith is activated, that was the beginning that I told you that's what the message is all about. If your faith is activated, he says, then miracles can happen. Things can be revealed. So Pastor Chuck said, so this one guy, he said, I think this guy was legit. He goes, I remember especially one letter uh, that he had received from this lady. So it's talking about uh, this minister who had requested a handkerchief. She said, I need another one. And um, her second letter said, would you please give me another handkerchief? Because the one you sent me, she says, I had it on my table. And my son, who is a non-believer, 
he came by with his family to go to the theater. And when he saw it, he said, hey, mom, what's this? She said, oh, that's an anointing cloth that I got from evangelist, whatever his name is. He said, well, I think I'll take it with me. And he stuck it in his coat pocket, and then he went to the theater with his family. During the movie, he said to his wife, I smell smoke. She said, no, you don't. You don't have the, you don't have the ability to smell. You don't have any sense of smell. And it was true, he did not have he did not have the ability to smell or have any senses. So finally, he said it again. I, I not only smell smoke, it's really, really strong. And he finally got up and she goes, what's he gonna do? He walked down to the front of the theater. He said, hold it, hold it, stop the movie. He goes, everybody get up, get out of here. I smell smoke. So they're talking and looking at whatever. And so they start, and as the people are leaving, all of a sudden smoke comes billowing in and a fire comes and burns up the theater. So she says, the reason I need another prayer cloth is my non-believing son got his nose healed. He smelled smoke, saved a whole theater. And he says, mom, I'm not giving you this one back. <laughs> so, you know, how do you explain these things? I, I don't, I don't know. But I wanna, I wanna share with you this. Where is it in the Bible, like all the hell was the Old Testament, where is it in the Bible that it says, if you go up and touch the hem of a garment, you'll be healed? There's no verse in the entire Old Testament, that's all they had. There's no verse in the entire Old Testament that says, if you go up and touch the hem of you know, a prophet or a holy man's garment, that you'll be healed. But there was a woman who in her own mind said about Jesus, I believe if I go up to that man and I touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And she went up, touched him, she gets healed, and Jesus stops. There's hundreds of people all around him, jostling close, elbowing, whatever. He goes, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? Probably hundreds of people have been touching you. Everybody's crowding in wanting to touch you. He goes, no, I felt virtue go forth. Somebody touched me with faith. And all of a sudden, the woman comes. It was me. So what am I saying is that God does unusual miracles when we activate our faith. Sweaty aprons, sweaty handkerchief from his head, uh, crumbs from the table. The, the, the lady is Syrophoenician that says, well look, yes, he, he go, Jesus goes, I'm, I'm only sent to heal the children of Israel because she was Gentile. It wasn't the Gentiles' time yet. She goes, yes, Lord, I know. But when the family sits down to eat, even the crumbs that fall below the table, the dogs are allowed. All I'm asking for is a crumb. And I believe that he wasn't being mean. Jesus knew that she had faith and he wanted her to activate it publicly. And when she said that, he goes, woman, the very thing that you have asked is now yours. A centurion, another Gentile, says, my servant has a demon. Jesus says, I will go with you. And he says, no, not necessary. I'm a man of authority. I tell somebody go, he better go. I tell him come, you come. I recognize you have in the spiritual realm authority. You don't need to come to my house of my servant. You just say the word right here, right now, and I know it's done. And Jesus stopped and he goes, whoa. I have not seen that depth of faith among all the children of Israel who should have. What was that miracle? Distance healing. 
You don't even have to be there physically laying hands, but giving the word of command and faith instantly delivered that person. Other place we read in the book of Acts, Peter's shadow in Jerusalem. He's walking down there and his shadow, and they're like, get into his shadow. And they're healed. Why? I don't believe that cloth heals people. I don't believe shadows heal people. I don't believe garments heal people. I believe that the Holy Spirit heals people. But how is the supernatural power of God released? It's when you activate it by faith. If I do this, I believe, and God answered some pretty unusual people's faith. Do you see where I'm going with this? Our faith is not in the, you know, it's a variety of different things. We can be creative about it. Um, I love this man, John G. Lake, who was used for tremendous healing miracles a century ago. And one thing he said is, friends, there is something in the call of the soul that is creative. It brings things to pass. Don't you know that when the supreme desire of your heart goes out to God, that all the spiritual energy of your nature there comes by the unconscious creative exercise of faith into being that which your soul calls for. Activating faith. So here's what, you know, I don't want you just to go home and say, wow, God, he healed people 2,000 years ago. Wow, unusual miracles happened 2,000 years ago. Wow, I believe like in the Bible, what I wanna do is say, I want you to go into your homes and into your lives and into this week. And I want you to just step out and say, you know what? I believe that God will hear my prayer. I believe that God's gonna, you know, I'm gonna express faith. Lord, I'm gonna trust you. Can I hear an amen? amen. Active faith, not passive faith. In fact, passive faith is a misnomer. Faith has to be active or I don't believe that it's really faith. It's not enough just to be in your head. You say, but I believe in God. And James in the New Testament says, yeah, well, the demons believe in God, but it didn't do them much good. So you must have relationship. And I believe it's valuable to have a point of contact where I can release my faith. And when you do that, God will do great and mighty things. Okay, verses 13 through 20. Where are we? Well, okay, verse 13, and we'll wrap it up. It says, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And also there were the seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest uh, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And then the man uh, in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in the city of Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord was magnified, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. 
So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Make sure you know Jesus Christ personally whenever you're dealing with things in the supernatural. It's not enough just to know who Jesus is. So when they came and he was going after this, you know, there, there were apparently these Jewish guys that they were into exorcism. And if you knew the name of the demon, you could sometimes cast it out or move it around or whatever. But they thought, well, this is a new technique and we'll just do it like this. And I just think it's amazing. I mean, every spirit knows who Jesus Christ is and every demon certainly knows. So he looks at them and he goes, okay, I know, I know Jesus and I got to bow to him. And I know Paul and he believes in that Jesus guy. I got to bow to him too, but I don't know you guys. And this guy filled with a demonic spirit beat up seven grown men, roughed them up. He didn't kill them, but he roughed them up and they left their house ah, naked and humiliated. And that, can you imagine how that story got out to everybody in Ephesus heard that one? And the Lord was magnified and the Lord was glorified. There's power and authority in the name of Jesus if you know him. <laughs> so that, that's where we'll stop tonight. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We'll ask the worship team to come out. And get ready now for communion. By the way, while you're bowing your heads and getting ready for communion, I want to just make one last little application. Um, when, you know, because I believe that, that Christians cannot be demon-possessed biblically. If you're born again and you have the Holy Spirit, and that's another benefit of being saved, is when the Holy Spirit's in you, there's no demon that's going to be able to mess with you or get inside of you. But I do believe that Christians can be oppressed, which means from the outside. What are they? Spirit of fear, anxiety, you know, worry, darkness, depression, all of those kinds of things. And what I want to say is that sometimes, you know, going all the way back to when I was in the house ministries and, you know, young people that were, you know, in, in that time, it was the 70s for me, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, and they had Eastern mysticism, and they had little statues and little Eastern idols, and they were transcendental meditation, had all this stuff in there. And we would find out as they would come to church and they'd go, I'm growing in the Lord, but I, I can't beat this depression. I'm growing in my walk with Christ, but I, I have this fear that grips me and it will not let me go. And I, I, say, I study and memorize more scriptures and it just... So finally, the word began to get out because I was in a house ministry dealing with people that had been on drugs and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And Chuck you know, made a simple analogy. He said, hey, uh, if they've got anything in their room that is, has a demonic attachment to it, get rid of it now. If you're serious about wanting to defeat the depression, the anxiety, the fear, the war, those are spirits behind all that stuff. So here's a whole town. Once they figured out, whoa, this like is real, they took that stuff and they burned it. So I just want to say, if you got anything lingering in your home, uh, whether it's books or symbols or whatever it may be, that may be the source of some spiritual oppression in your life, 
that you could simply get rid of if you're willing and ready to be obedient to Christ. So we have an open communion. If you're a believer, you're more than welcome to share with us. But I want to say this. There may be somebody here, somebody outside, somebody watching online, somewhere. Maybe this is your first time to church in a long time. But God's been wooing you and calling you. And you're like, okay, I don't know. Where, what do I do? How do you even start? I'm glad you're listening to a Bible study and you know, you're at church or listening in. But I want to tell you this, there must come a moment and time in your life where you decide if Jesus is who he claims to be, the Savior who is the Messiah who's sent from God, and he loves you so much, he died on the cross, was buried to pay for your sins, and then he rose from the dead, and he goes, I want to come into your life. I want to save you. I want to forgive you. I want to, you know, heal you, deliver you, give you salvation for eternal life. So communion is for those who are believers. If you're not a believer and you're still here, you've been very respectful listening, just let this pass you by. But if you would like to say, I'm ready, what, what, what must I do to be saved? Here it is. I'm going to say a simple childlike prayer. I want everybody to pray that knows the Lord. You can pray with me. Pray out loud after me. Again, we're not getting saved again. We are remembering the beauty of our salvation. It's like renewing a commitment, renewing vows, whether it's marriage or something very precious to you, and it's, it's just an, a way of refreshing that. But maybe somebody for the first time will pray. And if you do pray this prayer for the first time and you make a commitment or you are wanting to recommit your life, you may partake in communion. So let's pray out loud, those who are willing after this matter. Dear Lord, I admit that I am a sinner and I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come into my life to be my personal Lord and Savior. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. I receive the gift of eternal life. Now help me follow you, Jesus, all the way to heaven until I see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.